you were to approach me as a child and say, Graham, tell me about the story of Jonah. My guess is I would not be able to tell you very much. My response would, would probably be, oh, Jonah, is that story in the Bible about that guy who got swallowed up by that gigantic fish? And uh, that's probably it. I actually tested this out on Ava Grace a while back. I, I asked her, I said, Ava, tell me about the story of Jonah. And she said this, and I quote, Jonah went the wrong way and was swallowed by a big fish. And that's the story. That's it, Dad. Those were her exact words to me. And that's all a lot of us know about this story. When we think of the story of Jonah, we think of Jonah and the fish. We think of it as this little cutesy story we're told as kids, like the story of the three little pigs and Little Red Riding Hood. But you know what you find when you take time to study the book of Jonah? You find that the story of Jonah is so much more than a story about a fish. That's what we're going to discover this morning. We are continuing our study through the Minor Prophets, titled The Major Message of the Minor Prophets. And today, we find ourselves in the book of Jonah. Now, like with many of the other books in this section of Scripture, Jonah is not an easy book to find. It actually just takes up two pages in my Bible. So you've got a number of ways you can get there. One is by turning to the front of your Bible and looking at the table of contents and find the page number and get there that way. Don't be too proud to do that every now and again. Uh, another way is to turn to the book of Matthew and just start flipping backwards. Until you get there, but you got to be real careful because Jonah, you can flip over the book really easily and not even know it. And I could tell some of you that it's in between Obadiah and Micah, but uh, that might not be much help to some of you, even though we were in, in the gigantic book of Obadiah last week of 21 verses. But however you get there, get there to the book of Jonah. And before we, we jump into this book, I want to take a moment just to give you a little bit of background into this story. First, let's talk about the author. Though this book is anonymous, many early Jewish and Christian scholars believe that, that Jonah wrote this book shortly after his ministry in Nineveh. Now, that's debated, but that's what many conservative evangelical scholars believe. It was thought to have been written around 780 BC, while the northern kingdom was still intact, it's one of the oldest of the uh, one of the older of the minor prophet books. And uh, though Jonah is a prophetic book, it's unique to the prophets because Jonah is a narrative. It's it's an account of what happened to this prophet named Jonah when he was called by God to go and preach in Nineveh. So it's a, a narrative. It's an autobiography. As many of you know by now who have been with us for some time throughout this series, you know that many of the prophetic books don't read in this way. Most prophetic books, uh, if you turn to them and if you read them, they are more sermonic. 
than they are narrative, right? Most of them are largely made up of sermons and messages and illustrations given by God's prophets to the people of God. The book of Jonah is not. It's it's unique. It's less preachy. It tells a story. And within this story, we find several key truths. Though we said earlier, many of us, when we think of Jonah, often think of it as a story about Jonah and a fish. It's so much more than that, folks. Get this. Jonah is a story about God. It's a story about God. And in this book, we find four key truths about the one true God of the Scriptures. First, we learn that the story of Jonah is about a sovereign God. Jonah is about a sovereign God. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So the book begins by telling us that the word of the Lord came to this man, Jonah. God spoke to Jonah, and he said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach against it. Now, this here is not uncommon for the, for the prophetic books, right? We talked earlier about the fact that Jonah is a unique prophetic book, but not here. In these books, you normally have an account of a prophet being called somewhere by God to preach God's word. Most, as you know, are called to preach against God's people, either in the northern kingdom of Israel or in the southern kingdom of Judah. But a few of the prophets are called to prophesy to other nations. We talked about Obadiah last week. Obadiah prophesied against Edom. And Jonah is also an example of this. The Lord tells Jonah to leave Israel and go to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, Jonah, and I want you to preach against that nation. Their evil has come up against me, and I want you to go and preach to them and against them because of their wickedness, and I want you to call for them to repent. And how does Jonah respond? Does he respond like Isaiah? Does he say, here am I, Lord, send me? Is that the way he responds? Look at verse 3. But, that's a key word here. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, take a look at this map up on the screen. This will really tell the story for you, okay? God says, Jonah, I want you to go here. I want you to go to Nineveh. But notice that Jonah doesn't just say no. We're not told that, that, that Jonah says, no, Lord, I will not. Instead, we're told that he gets on a boat and he flees in the opposite direction. You have the length of the Mediterranean Sea that divides Nineveh from Tarshish. 
And notice we're told twice why Jonah does this. Why is he running away? He is trying to flee from God. He's trying to run away from the presence of the Lord. He's trying to get away from God. He thinks to himself, God is obviously in Israel because he's called me out of Israel to go to Nineveh. And God is obviously in Nineveh because he wants to use me there to do a work there. So I'm going to Tarshish. And maybe, just maybe, God won't be there. And oh, how wrong he was, right? We learn from this first chapter in Jonah that God is everywhere. And not only is he everywhere, he is in control, folks, everywhere. God is sovereign. In chapter 1, we see that Jonah fails in his attempt to flee from the presence of God. And the reason why is because, listen to this, this is key, God is everywhere and he's sovereign everywhere. Look at verse 4. We find another key word, but the Lord. So you have but Jonah, but Jonah went to Tarshish, and here you have but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. So God tells Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go and preach there. And notice, Jonah doesn't just say no, but he runs away from the presence of God, and he gets on a boat, and he gets out on the water. And in verse 4, we're told that God, in response to Jonah's fleeing, hurls a great wind on the sea, and brings about this great storm. Folks, God is in control, isn't he? He is so much in control that he can appoint a storm in a matter of seconds if he wants to and stop Jonah dead in his tracks. It's what he does here. You ever been stopped in your tracks by God? He can do it. He's sovereign God is in control of all things. He is sovereign over everything. And here he appoints this storm to stop Jonah from fleeing. And many of you who are familiar with the story, you know that they try to steer through it, don't they? They try to get through this storm, but they can't. And then after a series of events, the others on the boat discover that Jonah is the one to blame for this storm. Look at verses 10 through 16. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to Jonah, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So they, they find out Jonah's to blame, and they say, Jonah, what are we to do? He says, throw me overboard. Now, some of you may think they just said, you don't have to tell us twice, and they lifted him up and over, but they didn't. These guys were decent guys. Before doing that, 
They didn't want to do that right away. They, they tried their best still to steer through the storm by their own strength, but of course they can't. So in verse 15, they finally decide to throw Jonah overboard. And when they do, notice what happens. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There are two key truths we learn here about God's sovereignty from this first chapter here. One, we learn Because God is everywhere and in control, get this, there is no place on earth he cannot be called upon and looked to and trusted in and followed. These men were terrified, were they not? They were were terrified. They thought this is it. We're going to die on this boat. We're going to sink into the midst of the sea. But they learned that God was there. In the midst of the sea, in the midst of this storm, and he is in control. That should comfort you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you are in a dark and difficult storm in life. And you are at your wit's end. Listen, God is there. And he is able to carry you through it. If you would look to and trust in and follow him, he can lead you through it. The psalmist in Psalm 107 says this. When we're at our wit's end, if we cry out to the Lord, he will hear our cry and he will deliver us from our distresses. That's the proper response. If you're in a dark and difficult storm this morning, I pray this first point bring you comfort. God is there. He's in the midst of the storm. He wants you to cry out to him. He wants you to cling to him. He wants you to trust in him and follow him through it. He can lead you through it. He can deliver you from your distress. There's another point we learn as well, though, about God's sovereignty, and it's this. Get this. We also learn that because God is everywhere and he is sovereign over everything, there is no place where we can go and get away from him in our sin. That's key. Jonah tried, didn't he? Jonah tried and Jonah learned that God is everywhere. He sees all and there's nowhere you can go to flee his presence. David told us that in Psalm 139. He told us there's nowhere we can go to get away from the presence of God. He says if we ascend to heaven, he's there. If we make our bed in Sheol, he is there. Jonah learned this as well. And and notice he could also not flee from the wrath of God, could he? God punished Jonah right there for his disobedience in the midst of that storm at sea by having him thrown overboard. And and notice that this appeased God's wrath. This appeased the storm. Get this. We get a great glimpse of the great work that Christ did for us here. Have you ever thought about that? Think about this for a minute. Though Christ was different from Jonah in that he was not deserving of God's wrath. Get this. He endured God's wrath for us to appease God's wrath so that we, through Christ, could have peace with God. 
and be brought back into a right relationship with him. Folks, that's the gospel. Don't you see that here in Jonah? Isn't it beautiful to see that picture? We see that picture painted all throughout the word of God. So the work of Christ is illustrated here in Jonah 1. And we also learn at the end of Jonah 1, God provides salvation for Jonah by means of a fish. And that brings us to point number two. The first point we learn from Jonah is that Jonah is about a sovereign God. Number two, we also learn Jonah is about a saving God. Now, like we said earlier, Jonah is a unique book in this prophet section of Scripture, right? Though it's considered a prophetic book, it does not contain much prophecy. It does not contain much preaching. A little bit, but not not a whole lot. The book of Jonah reads more like a narrative than the other prophetic books. And what we find in chapter 2 of Jonah is that this passage is unique to the book of Jonah because for most of the second chapter of Jonah, Jonah breaks from the narrative to give this prayer that he prays to God. And notice here that this is not a prayer request that Jonah gives, but a praise. That's key to understanding this text. He does not give a prayer request here. While he's in the belly of the fish, he praises the Lord. Growing up, when I heard the story of Jonah, I thought of the fish as being the instrument of God's punishment that God's using against this prophet for his disobedience, but that's not what we see here at all. We learn the sea is God's instrument of punishment, and get this, the fish is is God's instrument of salvation. What's threatening Jonah's life is not the fish, but the sea. Jonah is about to drown in the midst of the sea for his disobedience, and God, being the gracious and merciful God that he is, appoints a fish to swallow him up and to save him from drowning. Look at where we see this in the text. It's clearly stated here. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. What's going on here? You have Jonah here in the fish, and he's, he's praying this prayer. And in this prayer, he recalls the events of what has just happened. Notice he's speaking in the past tense. He says, I called out to the Lord. When? When did Jonah call out to the Lord? While he was in the water. He says, I was thrown into the water. I was drowning and I called out to the Lord and the Lord heard me and he answered me. How did he do so? By pointing a fish. Jonah says, out of the belly of Sheol, not the belly of the fish, the belly of Sheol, out of the belly of the deep, I cried and you heard my voice. He says, I was on the verge of death and you saved me. Verse three, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. He's about to drown, right? All your waves and your billows passed over me. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. You see, Jonah's life is being threatened by the sea. And it's at this point when Jonah realizes his need, and he cries out to God, and look at what happens into verse 6. Yet, that's another key word here. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Notice the transition here, folks. This is so key. Jonah was drowning. 
says, I was drowning, I was sinking, I was on the verge of death, but or yet you, God, brought me up out of the pit. I was dying, and you, O oh Lord, rescued me. God saved Jonah, folks. Like we said in the previous point, God is sovereign. We learn from Jonah that God is a sovereign God. Here we learn God is sovereign in salvation. Notice Jonah played no part whatsoever in God's saving work here. God didn't throw Jonah a life jacket for him to swim to. He didn't provide him a boat for Jonah to swim over to, get in, and row his way out. No, God appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah and to spit him back out again on dry land. Jonah was drowning without a hope in the world in the middle of of the sea and we're told God saved him. Folks, salvation is a work that God does. It is solely and completely from him. He is the author of our salvation and he deserves all the glory and the honor and the praise for the state of things in our lives spiritually. Believers, that should keep you humble. That should make you thankful. That should make you worshipful. And that should keep you focused on God. And that should also give you boldness when you go out and proclaim God's word to others. Listen, God is able to transform the hardest of hearts from the inside out. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. And he does it through his people sharing the truth of his word by the power of his Holy Spirit. Therefore, we're to be faithful. We're to go out, share of God's saving work with those who need to hear it. And we need to trust and be empowered by the fact that salvation is a work that God does. So we learn from this book that the book of Jonah is about a sovereign God. The book of Jonah is about a saving God. Number three, the book of Jonah is about a gracious God. Jonah is about a gracious God, isn't it? God is gracious to both Jonah and he's gracious to the wicked and evil Ninevites, is he not? Look at Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, notice here, this passage sounds very familiar to another passage in this book, right? The reason why is because this passage is almost identical to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 for a minute. Look, Look at what it says here. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. You see, those two verses, Jonah 1.1 and Jonah 3.1, are almost identical, but there is a phrase that differentiates the second from the first. In chapter 3 is added the phrase, the second time. We learn here from this book that God's word had to come to Jonah twice. Because the first time when God's word came to Jonah, what did he do? He ran away, right? He got out of town. He headed in the opposite direction toward Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And you would think that after this happened, God might just say, fine, Jonah, run away. You don't want to be a part of what I'm doing, Jonah? That's just fine. I'm not going to make you. I'm going to use someone else. 
someone more willing, someone more qualified than you, Jonah. Yet he doesn't do that, does he? Notice here, God goes to great lengths to redirect Jonah. First, he appoints a storm. Then he appoints a fish to swallow him up and spit him back out again. Then we're told in chapter 3, verse 1, that God comes to Jonah a second time. And he calls him out once again. He says, hey, Jonah, remember me? You tried to run from me? And I had you swallowed up by a fish and spit out right where you lie. Remember me, Jonah? I still have a, a mission for you. I have a message for you to preach. And I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against them. And look at what happened after God's word came to Jonah a second time. Look at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Smart move, right? You better believe he went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord. Now, back in chapter 1, once again, we're told Jonah arose, but he went to Tarshish. Here he gets it right. He goes to Nineveh. And look at what happens when he gets there. Look at verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah finally goes into Nineveh, and he preaches the word that God gave him. And what's the word God gave him? Into verse 4, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he does what God says. He preaches against Nineveh and notice the amazing response. Verse 5, and the people believed God. Wow. Jonah had a rocky road to get to Nineveh. God eventually used him there to bring these wicked Ninevites to repentance. Now, listen closely to this. I want you to get this, okay? We learned something very, very important about God here. God could have let Jonah go, right? Like we said earlier. He could have used someone else, someone who would have gone to Nineveh at a moment's notice, one who had a history of going into hostile areas and preaching repentance with boldness. He could have let the Ninevites in their sinful state right and just gone in and wiped them out but instead God chose to use a weak-minded disobedient hard-headed and fling prophet like Jonah to reach this wicked and evil people he used a a prophet who had such a small view of God that he thought he could outrun God by ship He used him. A prophet who openly and outwardly disobeyed the direct call of God. God is gracious, is he not? He is. We learn that here in Jonah chapter 3. He's a gracious God who delights in giving second chances to those who have been resistant to his calling and to those who have been unruly and rebellious toward him. So the book of Jonah, it's about a sovereign God. It's about a saving God. It's about a gracious God. And fourth and finally, the book of Jonah is about a missional God. God is a missional God, is he not? If he wasn't, we wouldn't be here, folks. This thing didn't start here, did it, in Jacksonville, Texas? No. We're proof right here. God is a missional God. 
He's a God who delights in being known and worship where he's not known and worship by all peoples everywhere. Let me show you where we see this. Chapter 3, verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going on a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. So God calls for Jonah to go to the Ninevites, preach against them, and he, through this fleeing flawed prophet does an incredible work and he leads them to repentance now let me tell you a little bit about the Ninevites they were not nice people and that's putting it very very nicely we learn in Nahum that Nineveh was a bloody city when doing some background on the Ninevites you learn that when they would return from war, they would return with the heads of their enemies and they would stack these severed heads outside of the city gates. This was a barbaric and godless city, which shouldn't surprise us, right? Because it's the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were known for being barbaric. Listen to this quote I came across from Elliot E. Johnson in the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Johnson says, Nineveh was the capital of one of the cruelest, vilest, most powerful, and most idolatrous empires in all the world. They were extremely wicked, and there were great enemies of Israel. That's why Jonah hated them. Yet we learn God is gracious toward them, which is why he sends Jonah to them. And, and notice God does an incredible work here, does he not? We're told in Nineveh that after Jonah preached, they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth. Now, what does that mean? What, what does that mean when they do that? Well, in this day, Putting on sackcloth, when someone would do that, that meant that they were, they were doing it to show their humility. They were, by doing this, they were identifying themselves with poor people. They were showing their humility and their need. And the whole city, folks, was doing this. At the end of verse 5, we're told from the greatest of them to the least of them, even the king, the king. Look at verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. It's one of the great revivals, one of the greatest revivals we have recorded in the scriptures. Isn't that amazing? The king of this wicked city, the king of the, the capital of Assyria, one of the most godless, most barbaric, most immoral and idolatrous cities in the world at that time. He got off his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes and called for a citywide fast in the repentance of all Ninevites. What an amazing work. God is sovereign, isn't he? That should give you boldness to go out and share your faith. God can take the king of Assyria, the capital of Assyria, and bring him to his knees and bring him to repentance. Now go out and share Christ with the hard-hearted and the resistant, trusting that God can do a great work there. Jonah got to see it. Is he excited? Was he pumped up? Was he praising God like he was from the belly of the fish? What do you think? Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. And it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Adds that. He was, he was one mad guy. It displeased him exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah 
was very upset. This is the reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to begin with. He knew God was going to do a great work. He knew they were going to repent. He knew they were going to be spared. And he did not want that. Look at how upset he is. Look at, look at verse 3. He says, Oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah says, I'm so upset, I could literally die. Now that's upset, isn't it? Jonah's saying, I don't even want to go on living. If they are, that's what Jonah's saying. And, and I think if many of us are honest, if we know the context here, we can see where Jonah is coming from. Maybe not upset enough to die, but I think we can relate to Jonah. Many of us can. I mean, what if God called you to be a missionary to modern-day Nineveh? You know where that is? Northern Iraq. What if God called for you to be a missionary to a terrorist group in northern Iraq. Some of you would probably be thinking, when's the ship to Tarshish leaving, right? Am I right? I mean, Jonah would have rather have gone anywhere than Nineveh and would have rather died than to see them repent and spared. And knowing what we know about Nineveh, it's tough to blame him for feeling this way. But like we said a moment ago, folks, our God is a gracious God. And he is in the business of taking those who deny him, those who are cynical and skeptical of him, and even those who are adamantly opposed to him, and he delights in transforming them and using them for his purposes. God's in the business of doing this takes those whom we view as being great enemies of God, those we view as being the scum of the earth, and he redeems them for himself. And this truth was too much for Jonah, and it's a tough pill for us to swallow as well, isn't it? But it's absolutely true. And though I don't have time this morning to explain to you how God teaches Jonah through the plant and the worm in, in chapter 4, you can get on the web, listen to the series I preached through Jonah a few years ago. And uh, I preach four sermons through Jonah, number four, and, and I'll explain that there. But just know that God, through this object lesson, shows Jonah that he should be concerned for the multitudes of people who do not know him. He tells Jonah in verse 11 of chapter 4, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? God is telling Jonah here, Jonah, my concern is for the nations. I am concerned about the spiritual condition of the Ninevites. My heart is for the lost, Jonah. He says there are more than 120,000 people in this city who do not know their right hand from their left, Jonah. Should I not pity them, Jonah? God is showing Jonah here that there are tons of people in this city who are lost and don't even know that they are. Blinded by their sinfulness. Hundreds and thousands of people in need of salvation. He says, should I not pity them, Jonah? Should I not have a heart for them and a desire to see them come to repentance? 
He says, Jonah, there are people here who need to turn from their sin. They, they need me. They're lost and hopeless without me. God is showing Jonah here, and he's showing us, his greater audience, that he is a missional God. He is a God who desires to be known and worshipped where he is not known and worshipped by all peoples everywhere. That includes each one of you. God has created you for himself. He wants you to know him. He wants you to live for him. And the question you need to ask yourself today is this, do you? Do you know him? Do you belong to him? Are you living your life for him? God has gone to great lengths for this to happen. We learn in his word that though we, like Jonah, turned away from him, turned our lives away from him, lived our lives apart from and opposed to his will and his ways, he pursued us, did he not? And he sent us his son, sent him to earth to live for us and give his life up for ours so that we, through Christ, through his person and work, could be forgiven of our sins and brought back to a right relationship with God. And scripture is clear that if we will turn from our sins and turn our life over to Christ, if we will trust in him alone for our salvation, we can be saved and be made right with God once again. If you're here this morning and you've never made this decision, there's no better time than right now. Today is the day of salvation. You're not promised the next moment. The only moment you're promised is right now. You've got to get this right, right now. And I pray, I urge you today, you would not leave here without doing so. Let's pray.